If we truly want to resolve a conflict with a brother or sister, then we must be willing to set aside our pride and seek forgiveness. Sometimes pride is a great issue when resolving conflict. Sometimes forgiving those who have wronged us is all that we can do. We can each choose to forgive even if our forgiveness is not received. For if we choose not to forgive, we could cause this root of bitterness to come in and destroy. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we want to look at what the Bible says in regards to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as Paul, as a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, at a church that he spent a year and a half with, he's writing for us, 2 Corinthians, his second letter. There are some scholars who believe that there were more than two letters that Paul had written. We have been given two of these letters, so we're going to deal with the letters that the Lord has given us. But as we pick up in chapter 2, Paul continues his explanation to the Corinthian believers as why he had not returned sooner to them. Back in chapter 1, verse 23, Paul said that he had not returned to them because he wanted to spare them. And then in verse 24, he reminded them that he did not have lordship over them, but saw them as co-laborers. Yes, he had uh, authority that the Lord has given, had given him as an apostle over the Lord's church, but he viewed the Corinthians. He said, we are co-laborers. And, and though in the work of the church, we may have different positions within the church, but when it comes down to it, we are co-laborers for the work of the gospel. But what did Paul want to spare them from? We'll get into a little bit more of that in chapter 2 as we look at the 17 verses of chapter 2 this morning. It's a message that I entitled, We Are the Fragrance of Christ from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And in this message, we're going to see Paul's abundant love in verses 1 through 4, Paul's obedient test in verses 5 through 11, and Paul's thankfulness, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 4, open us in prayer, and get into the teaching of God's word. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. 
For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul's abundant love. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us, Lord, as we look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. We know that we are getting a glimpse of history in the early church. But also, Lord, we understand that history has a tendency to repeat itself. And so, Lord, as Paul had concerns for the church of the first century, many of those same concerns can be found in the church of the 21st century. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to discern these things and how we can rightly apply them to our lives this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul talked about sorrow and gladness. Last week, I rehearsed Paul's second missionary journey when he came to Corinth. And although Luke made no mention of a second visit to Corinth, it appears that Paul had already visited them a second time. And at that visit, it was a very sorrowful situation. And so as he writes to them, he's saying, I don't want to bring sorrow to you. That's one of the reasons I did not come or return. I wanted to spare you. I wanted possibly to spare you from bringing more sorrow upon you. We know that he had already had a second visit because he says so in this letter. In 2 Corinthians 12, 14, he writes, Now for a third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. And then again in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, And this will be the third time that I'm coming to you. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything will be established. And so in the book of Acts, up to this point, we only read of Paul having one visit with them. According to 2 Corinthians, we find that they had already been two visits. And here he's talking about why he has delayed his coming. He would come again for a third time, not to bring them sorrow, but he wanted to bring gladness. In 2 Corinthians 1.24, Paul stated that he saw himself and the Corinthians as co-laborers in Christ. Therefore, when dealing with emotions like sorrow or gladness, Paul understood that all relationships, they're reciprocal. And we can impact other people we can impact our own family, have this great impact in our family, with our friends, with co-workers, with even strangers in how we conduct ourselves with others, how we interact with others. You have to maybe take a, a little extra effort to make a comment, to talk with someone, but we, relationships, are reciprocal. And so how we deal with situations when they come up. We can bring joy, we can bring sorrow, we can bring gladness, we can bring heartache into people's lives. Although Paul's second visit had brought sorrow to them, obviously some things had to be dealt with. 
Paul determined that the next time I come to you, the theme of my next coming, it's going to be gladness. We're going to have joy. In Romans 12, 15, Paul wrote, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so we have these seasons, these occasions where sometimes the occasion will be sorrow. Sometimes it will be weeping. Sometimes it will be gladness. Sometimes it will be rejoicing. And like Paul, we must learn to, I think we must learn to pick our battles, bringing sorrow and gladness only when it's appropriate. And sometimes that means when I talk about picking our battles, sometimes it means remaining silent when maybe there's something that is bothering you, but you realize that it's not an issue that's great enough to cause heartache. You remain silent over an issue. But other times there's an issue that has to be dealt with. So through prayer and through must consideration, you deal with the issue. He wanted to have the Corinthians to have joy to have love as we look at in verses three and four he said from those whom i ought to have joy so he talked about that joy having that confidence in all that my joy is the joy of you all paul found joy in seeing the corinthians have joy now parents might understand this grandparents especially understand this But children also can understand this, that when we do something for someone and we kind of do a surprise, we want to present something to them, we want to see that expression of joy and gladness in their life because of whatever good thing that we did for them, it brings us joy in the process. We get sometimes joy, even more joy maybe, as being the giver than the one who is receiving And Paul had dealt with some sorrowful issues by letter, maybe by a second visit. But now he said, when I come the third time, the theme is going to be gladness. The theme is going to be joy. So sometimes we have to deal with hard things. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We need to be aware of who's telling us what sometimes. If it's someone who is an enemy, someone who perhaps we don't have a lot of trust in and they begin to lift us up and begin to say good things about us, we should have the radar go up and and say, uh, all right, what are you after? What do you want? But faithful are the wounds of a friend that through dealing with sorrowful situations, though it may be difficult, we do so that we might have joy and love that we actually would resolve the situation that joy and love would come. Second Corinthians thirteen ten says, therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Paul says later on in this letter. I write these things, although I'm not with you right now, because I know if I had to be with you now, if I was present, I would have to say some pretty sharp things toward you. The Lord has given me the authority to bring edification, to edify the church. We, that Greek word means to build up, not to destroy. And so his desire was to build up. We need to realize that every relationship will have differences. 
if unresolved, these differences will leave wounded or severed relationships. Yet, when dealing with difficult situations, restoration should be our chief goal. If we truly want to resolve a conflict with a brother or sister, then we must be willing to set aside our pride and seek forgiveness. Sometimes pride is a great issue when resolving conflict. Sometimes forgiving those who have wronged us is all that we can do. We can each choose to forgive even if our forgiveness is not received. For if we choose not to forgive, we could cause this root of bitterness to come in and destroy. It's fall outside and doing lawn care, whether I haven't done much here at the church this year. I'm glad for that. Thank you, boys. But whether at home, I didn't have to do it all year at the home either. I was in a sling for a while, but back to it. And things are taking roots in our lawns. Weeds are taking roots. Little trees that you don't want to grow where they're trying to grow are taking roots. And if you allow it to remain, eventually it will be difficult to pull them up. It's easy to get them while they're young. But if you let it stay for a while, it gets hard to pull them up, especially the small trees that are trying to grow. They take roots, and then you have a difficult time. We have an area that, at our house that now, because of uh, an overgrown bush that I haven't trimmed back this year, you can't see that there is a rose bush planted in what seems to be at least two different types of weeds and two small trees that are trying to overtake that whole area. And I have to tell you that the trees are succeeding. And I've been cutting them back for years. It's hard to get at it because it's hard to get at the roots. They've went deep. And that's how this root of bitterness can set in. When we choose not to deal with certain situations, we should be a people, as it says in Hebrews 12 verses 14 and 15 to pursue peace with all people that should be our end goal pursue peace pursue holiness the author of hebrews says without which no one will see the lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of god lest any roots of bitterness springing up cause trouble by which many become Defiled. That's interesting. The root of bitterness springing up. As I was just talking about this, we realize that that which is springing up usually means that a lot more is beneath the surface. And that which is beneath the surface is that is the difficult part to get rid of. As we forgive those who have hurt us, our forgiveness can lead to repentance, which can lead to a restored relationship where we gain back our brother and sister in the Lord. Our chief goal, remember, our chief goal is to gain a brother or sister when dealing with sorrowful situations. And also, Jesus, when he talked about this, I think this is perhaps one of the most misapplied verses of Scripture in Matthew eighteen twenty, When Jesus talked about dealing with conflict, it is there that he wrote, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in your midst. Now, this passage has been misapplied to usually when two people show up to church and will say, 
the two people who show up to church, they're not in conflict. They're wanting to worship. And so to encourage us, it's like, well, at least the Lord's with us. It's not just you and me, but the Lord's with us. The Bible says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. But I think this is also more so in context of what this comes out of. Jesus saying, when we deal in these hard situations to gain a brother or sister in Christ, that he will be with us, working with us. Paul's personal joy was seeing the joy of the Corinthian believers. He wanted to see them in gladness and joy. Therefore, out of much affliction and anguish and tears, he wrote to them, not that they should be grieved, but that they might understand the abundant love that he had for them. The Bible tells us Jesus saying in John 15, 13, no greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now we know ultimately Jesus was speaking about his death upon the cross, but for us it's true as well to lay down one's life for another. There's no greater joy in that. And sometimes the path to gladness, joy, and love, it comes by way of sorrow. So Paul had given them a test of obedience. How many people like tests? Do you like getting tests still today? Oh, I love having tests. Well, sometimes tests can be very helpful. At other times, they can just trouble you greatly. Back in 1992, Lily and I went out to California that I could go to the School of Ministry and... At that time, in the School of Ministry, we had seven classes every semester, and I was working full-time. So I was working from 3 to midnight every night, and I had to be in class by 7 in the morning. And so there wasn't a whole lot of sleep time at that time in my life. And it had been a while. I was 32 years old. It had been a while since I'd been in any kind of classroom structure. So I didn't even know if I was capable to accomplish that which we sold our house for, sold a vehicle, sold a bunch of stuff, moved out to California, disrupted our whole life in order that I could go to school. And I didn't know even if I had the capability within me as a student or not. It had been a while, as I said. So then came the first Greek test. Not only was I going back to school, I was learning a language that I've never learned another language before. So I struggle with the English language. I've discovered that actually Greek is a little bit easier than our English language. Um, I didn't struggle as much with the Greek language, but it was a test that helped me to understand that I could accomplish these things. Sometimes tests help us. Our first Greek test, it had a hundred, I believe it had a hundred plus questions on it. It was a big test. But as I looked through it, just skimmed it, and this was the first major test that I had in a college situation. And the professor, unlike high school where they sit and watch you, there, they just like, here's your test. When you're done, put it on the table, and he left. Nobody was there to watch you. One of our Hebrew classes, one of the guys, as soon as the professor walked out, he signed his name to it, put it on the table, and said, see you guys. 
he was taking an F. He knew what he was going to get in that class. He's a wonderful brother in the Lord, though. He loves Jesus to this day. But with that Greek test, as I skim through it, it's like, I know these answers. I can do this. The reason I knew it is because I studied hard for the test, but the test helped me to understand that, you know what, I can, I can do this. And that was a, a turning point for me. I had went out there for several weeks, and it's a midterm, so for several weeks I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this. But there was a point where the test actually helped me to understand, you know what, I can do this. So this test of obedience is so important as Paul brings us here, he had a test to teach the church about the importance of forgiveness in verses 5 through 7. He talked about to forgive and to comfort. He said, if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you, to some extent, are not to be too severe. This punishment, which was afflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Without naming the individual who had brought grief to the fellowship of Corinth, Paul let them know that he was no longer grieved over this situation. Now, many of the biblical scholars have connected this to something that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8, where there, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul dealt with a man who was actually having sexual relations with his father's wife. So not his mom, but father obviously had remarried and this was going on, and the church knew about it, but the church didn't deal with the situation. Many had connected what we're reading about right now, verses 5 through 11, to that situation that had taken place in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, where Paul says, I've already judged in this situation. You need to put him out. And apparently they had. Whether it's actually talking about this situation or not, we can't be sure, but whatever the situation, the church had dealt with a situation where individual had been put out of the fellowship. And now Paul is saying what you did before needed to be done. But now it's time to bring and restore that individual, bring them back into the fellowship. He said, I'm not grieved about this any longer. I've already forgiven the guy. Now it's time for you to forgive. And we need to remember that when dealing with difficult situations, we've already looked at this earlier where Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. When dealing with difficult situations, restoration should always be our chief goal. And now Paul reminds them it's time to restore. This punishment that had been administered by the majority, it could have been the majority speaking about the elders. It could have been the majority speaking about the church as a whole. He said it's sufficient for such a man. You have done what you needed to do. Now, he says, it's time to forgive and to comfort the man, lest he would be swallowed up in too much sorrow. Whether great or small, conflict 
always finds its way into every relationship. And so it's good to seek resolution while the conflict is young. Remember, in order that it does not take root, once they take root, sometimes that root of bitterness is difficult to pull or to get rid of. So, Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to deal with the issues in our lives, Lord, that sometimes might be difficult to deal with, but we deal with them in hopes, Lord, that that root of bitterness will not take root. I pray for anyone, Lord, who knows their need for you today, but have never prayed to receive you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that they would cry out to you right now by acknowledging to you that they are a sinner and by receiving the gift of salvation that comes only by way of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would be with them now. We ask in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You got it. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.